You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I want to tell you about a lady. Her name was Miss Margaret. Every Sunday, Miss Margaret would sit in the same place in the same pew. She's been coming to church for two years now. Every Sunday, she would come arriving late and leaving early. If you look back, there are times you would see her cry and times you would see her sing. But every time, you would see Miss Margaret sitting alone. I asked the pastor about this lady and why she sat in that same place on that same pew all alone. He said she liked it that way. No one really knows why. We only know she was married once and had two children. We do not know what happened to her family, but we know they are gone. On those Sundays I would find her cry, it was not hard to imagine the reasons for Miss Margaret's tears. I often wondered if she could have been reciting her own psalm, her own complaint to God. A psalm much like the psalm we just read. It is a complaint before God. A complaint about the experience of deep sadness and hard struggle and the feeling of aloneness. It is a plea for God to show up and enter into the pain and confusion that seems to envelop the psalmist like the dense fog of a humid summer night. Miss Margaret would say as the psalmist, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old Years long past, at night I remember my music, I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever and never show favor again? Has His faithful love ceased forever? Is His promise to an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger withheld His compassion? If, if that is what she is saying, there is no denial of Miss Margaret's struggle and sadness. It is unconstrained honesty, a candid and genuine appeal directly to the throne of God, this section of the psalm begins with a stunning proclamation, I cry aloud to God and he will hear me, and it is followed by a long complaint, a complaint, a lament. I think this psalm gives a voice to Miss Margaret. As she sits there in her pew before God, weeping. But I think this complaint gives a voice to our world with its confusion and anxiety and at times outrage of the struggle against anything that threatens our well-being or comfort or peace or satisfaction. There are times, I think, when it is easy to ask, where is God? Has he forgotten to be gracious? There are times when thinking of God as we know him, like the psalmist, brings just utter confusion. If God is sovereign and all-powerful, why are there days filled with trouble? If he is love, why does comfort seem to escape us? Why all the suffering with a sovereign God of love? 
We live in a world where struggle and anxiety often rule the day. It's a world where people lack food and clean water, where children are created to fight, are recruited to fight wars not of their own making, where young women are kidnapped and sold into sexual slavery. We hear of this world and we think it's not so far away from us. Yet if this complaint carries on long enough, and this complaint that the psalmist lays out carries on long enough, we can feel it coming dangerously close to our own lives. We feel it in the children abandoned by their parents because they were not wanted. We feel it in the man who loses his job and wonders how he will provide for his family. We feel it in the 40-year-old woman and mother of three diagnosed with an operable cancer. We feel it in our disappointment with those to whom we entrusted our lives and our heart, but now seem no longer care. We feel it in the eyes of a mother and child who watched their husband and father leave for war. We even feel it in the strain of our comforts and finances as we reach out for peace and security. We feel it in the outrage of political discourse and commentary as we seek to blame someone, anyone other than ourselves. We, we feel it in the hundreds of homeless men, women, and children living in Williamsburg, James City County. We feel it all around in many places in almost every area of our private and public lives. We feel it in stories like Miss Margaret's. When we feel it, and I mean really feel it in those moments of our lives, we can only do as the psalmist and turn inward, preoccupied with confusion, anxiety, and struggle. I cry aloud to God. I sought the Lord. My hand is stretched out. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old years long past. I remember my music. I meditate on my heart and my spirit ponders. It is as if the psalmist does a complete inventory of his or her own heart and mind, able to look only inward. It is as if the confusion and anxiety and struggle is so relentless that it leads the psalmist to self-preoccupation. It is a psalmist's complaint that speaks of the confusion, anxiety, and struggle found in our society stained by sin and all its self-centeredness, entitlement, pride, and disobedience toward the same God we often cry out to for mercy. We discover that not even us, not even us, the ones who have placed our lives in the hands of the Lord who holds the whole world in his hands, not even us, not even we are immune from the confusion, anxiety, and struggle that so easily leads to our self-preoccupation. And so this psalm, this complaint, gives us a voice too if we let it. It belongs to us. It belongs to Miss Margaret. But then as we look more closely at this psalm, this, this prayer of complaint that Miss Margaret cries out to God takes the most unexpected turn. Right in the middle of this complaint, there is a big disruptive conjunction, the word so. In verse 10, so. 
It is as though the complaint is interrupted and the psalmist pauses to reflect upon a different reality where out of the depths of this complaint comes a different realization. A realization much like the one witnessed by Miss Margaret on those Sundays when her tears of pain would turn to songs of praise as she worshipped God from the same place in that same pew. So, Miss Margaret would say with the psalmist, so I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Has God's right hand really lost its grasp? Does it really hang powerless? It is as if the psalmist realizes in verse 10 with this disruptive conjunction of so, that God will not be a concierge, an on-call God who serves at our convenience. God will not be locked into a Washington, D.C.-like quid pro quo. And perhaps it's unsettling to Miss Margaret and often to the rest of us to know that God cannot be fully understood, easily predicted, or conveniently managed. Miss Margaret realizes that she must break free from all predictable notions of God, from those self-concerned, personal interpretations of God that we often lean on. You know, where God meets us in our quiet places. And the psalmist realizes that a different imagination, a different way of seeing God must be at work. One that leads away from self-preoccupation and safe, me-centric religion to a life-giving freedom that comes from yielding to a God who works glorious wonders throughout the pages of history as even seen in the scriptures. So becomes the turn of speech that awakens Miss Margaret to a God that is still wondrously near, yet magnificently awesome in glory. It becomes the disruptive conjunction that boldly interrupts the complaint and lifts our eyes away from self-preoccupations and personal interpretations of God, of I and my and I and my, to God's own testimonies concerning himself in the history of the world as seen in the pages of scriptures. So, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. So, I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. So, God is holy. Your way is holy. What God is great like God. You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples with power. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. There's a turn. The complaint is not denied by the turn. The disruptive conjunction so doesn't take away the weight or the unconstrained honesty of the complaint. The complaint doesn't scare God off of his throne. Perhaps some religious folks might have found the complaint a little offensive, but God does not. The disruptive conjunction merely interrupts the complaint. It doesn't deny it. It doesn't hide it and act like everything is okay. 
It doesn't put on spiritual cosmetics and show up before the people of God and seem as though everything is hunky-dory in my life. No. The disruptive conjunction of so, the turn of speech, simply interrupts Miss Margaret's attention and turns her to a different and greater reality. The self-preoccupation of my and I moves to a God-preoccupation of you and your. You see it in the psalm? See, like the psalmist, Miss Margaret moves on through the conjunction. She moves through the so. The turn of speech leads her onward through her thoughts and her reflections to her meditations from self to God where she trades in hope for confusion, peace for anxiety, rest for struggle. See, as I see it, there are generally two kinds of people in the world. There is the person who, like the psalmist, continues through the conjunction. This is the one who lives from the disruption of this conjunction and is jerked into a greater reality, one where there is hope for change and restoration, where there's strength to press on, and it can be found because the mind is dealing with the complaint in light of the Almighty God, where the complaint isn't shaping God, the complaint isn't moving God. The God is not seen through the lens of the complaint, but the complaint becomes seen through the lens of God. This is the one who moves on through the conjunction where they find, as the psalmist says, one who is full of faithful love. Miss Margaret's life, your life, my life are in the hands of a faithful God. And like the psalmist, Miss Margaret knows that even in her tears, confusion, anxiety, and grief, she actually isn't alone. God is present. God is able God is still working wonders, and there can be rest. But then there's the person whose life stops at verse 9. They carry on without the conjunction. They don't move through the complaint, they just end at the complaint, and the prayer stops. And at that point, you're all alone. There's no hope for change or restoration because the complaint has stopped. There's no moving through. No longer do you merely own the complaint, but now the complaint owns you. I want you to stop and consider what it means to continue through the disruptive conjunction of so in reverence to a God who is far greater than you and I, yet can be known by us because of his faithful love. I want you to stop and consider what it means to be willing and able to complain before God, to be honest before God, to just simply give voice to the feelings and the things inside your heart that he already knows but what it means to continue on and move through it with a turn of speech that moves you and I from the reality of I and my to the reality of I and my in light of you and your. 
to realize that my life is not the end all, be all, that I am not all there is, and even my personal experiences of God, as necessary as they may be, are not the sum total of who God is. He is unpredictable. He is unmanageable, unfathomable, yet entirely faithful in his love for you and me, for us. If like Miss Margaret and the psalmist, I lay out my complaint before God in stark honesty and continue through the disruptive conjunction, I will find this to be true. That I will find that only a holy God, a holy God, is able to do something about all that is wrong in the world and all that has inspired my complaint. Only a holy God can do that wholly, completely and utterly other, yet somehow because of Jesus so incredibly approachable, this holy, completely and utterly, absolutely, unfathomably, unpredictably, unmanageably other, only a holy God can do anything about anything in this world that is inspiring a complaint from myself, from my loved ones, or from the world. Only a holy God is able to do something. I will find that this truth of a holy God who works wonders as seen in scriptures teaches us that he still works wonders today. That I and you and we and Miss Margaret are not left to our own resources. In our society where we value pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, rugged individualism, this psalm, continuing through the disruptive conjunction, rubs against everything we are naturally wired to move toward. You figure it out for yourself, Fred. You just bustle it up, Fred. And there's no room for complaint. But yet the psalmist in stark honesty and candor lays out the complaint but does move through. Through to a God who works wonders, who refuses to leave the psalmist alone, despite the psalmist feeling what you see is the psalmist separating feelings from fact, or feelings from faith. If we move on through the disruptive conjunction, we will find that we cannot do what only God can. I am unable to manufacture real hope, lasting peace. My spouse, my children, money cannot manufacture real hope, lasting peace. The approval from my children cannot manufacture real hope or lasting peace. It cannot give deep rest for my heart, mind, and soul. Only God can do that. I will find that what I need, oftentimes more than anything, is a heart and mind that meditates upon God as witnessed and revealed in Jesus Christ. For it is in my meditation upon King Jesus that my trust in him grows stronger. Think about that. When we find ourselves in the midst of complaint, we invite people to trust harder. <laughs> Lean more in trust and trust more in your trust to trust God. 
What does that mean? No, stop. Stop striving and struggling. Let your complaint be made known, but, but move. And instead of struggling and trusting, just meditate. Just look upon. Just see. Just watch in the pages of the Gospels, Jesus. Just see him. Just sit with him. Just be with him. Just watch him. Open it up and imagine. Imagine the world that Jesus invites you into right here. See Jesus. See him love. Just see him. And just meditate on that. And what you may find is in your meditation, in your contemplation, you're dwelling upon your focus seeing upon you, you may just find that your trust in him grows stronger because you're just with him more. In your complaints, you're with him more. Jesus, why don't you heal me like you healed her? So I'll say, even though it feels like you've changed, I don't think you probably have and you still work wonders. See, now you write your own psalm. I think what we will find is what we need more than anything is a heart willing to meditate upon King Jesus so that our trust in him goes stronger where our heart finds rest and sweet surrender and if need be, our hearts find the one thing that us Christians and us people are very oftentimes unwilling to give and that is repentance. may need that I have to turn away from being the king of my own castle, the author of my own story, the Lord of my own life. It is in this continuing through the disruptive conjunction that Paul reaches out to the followers of Jesus. He reaches out to them as they live in a city called Philippi. No stranger to confusion, anxiety, and struggle. Paul sits in a Roman prison cell and reminds all of us that if, like him, like the psalmist, like Miss Margaret, if we decide to continue through the disruptive conjunctions, it must look like something. We cannot come to a church service and feel good about the fact that we can move through the disruptive conjunction and high-five and chest-bump everyone as we leave and say, great job, songs and prayers and bread and wine, and we just have moved on because we press on through faith in Jesus. It, no, it's not, it's not good enough to do that. It must actually look like something, Paul would say. It must be seen in how we live our lives. This notion of the psalmist doesn't lead us away from responsibility of responding to this God, of responding to this God of grace, of Surrendering to this God of grace, all we do if we ignore that is trade in our personal self-preoccupied me-centric religion for a different version of a self-preoccupied me-centric religion that says it's okay to come to God as a concierge, as an on-call God, and have him not spend enough time with us or me enough time with him so that he changed me. No, no, no. no Paul says if we move through the disruptive conjunction. And we continue on through the complaint toward meditation on a God who is holy and who is faithful in love 
and wondrously near, yet magnificently great. It must look like something in our lives. It must be seen as we, like Jesus, then decide to join God in what he's doing in the world, to enter into the confusion, anxiety, and struggle of our society and proclaim God's hope, peace, and rest through Jesus Christ. In other words, church, and I need you to hear this, we must always keep deciding. We must always keep deciding. We must always keep continuing through the disruptive conjunction. Paul in Philippians 2 verse 1 begins with his own disruptive conjunction. So, so if there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, is there any of that? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ, who though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, therefore, the turn of speech God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you that you have given us life in Christ, where you have interrupted, where you've disrupted our lives. And though some of us aren't too maybe thrilled with the disruption because you don't want to just be a concierge to us, you want to be Lord, we ask that you make us all okay with that through your spirit, that you somehow open our hearts that we would trust you more, that we would think of Jesus, that we would think of last week and how the grace of how your grace reaches all on all margins. And we would think to maybe last week's stories in Luke 7, or maybe as we read the Gospels this week, that we would remember that no one is out of the reach of your grace and that you are good and you are God and you cause the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and you have called us your own. You know us best and love us most because you've given us life in Jesus. Father, we ask that over these next few weeks as we enter into this season of Easter, this season of Palm Sundays and Good Fridays and Resurrection Sundays. We enter into this journey of the last few weeks of Christ Jesus our Lord that it would not be lost on us why Jesus came and why your love put skin on and why we have received redemption and why we have been called by you to join you in your mission to let the world know through how we live our lives and how we speak about this redemption that comes, that truly 
the greatest disruptive conjunction you've given the world was a cross. Because you disrupted sin and death and brought the world back to you again. So, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and like the psalmist, we would continue on. That we would always yield our circumstances and our lives in light of who you have revealed yourself to be in the scriptures. That we might see you moving and working in our everyday lives. Father, as we gather to sit around this table soon, we thank you for the bread and the wine that makes it all real to us. So, Father, open our hearts to receive it, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.